Good morning. Good morning. It's good to be in the house of the Lord today, isn't it? Amen. Amen. While we were praying earlier for people up here, wasn't necessarily walking around laying hands on everybody but I was praying with others and with you and for you that were here and there's a thought that kept turning in my spirit I believe of the Holy Ghost that the place of your healing begins at the place of your forgiveness place of your healing begins at the place of your forgiveness. Praise God. That's all. Why don't you pray with me right now? Would you do that? Come on, talk to the Lord. Talk to the Lord with me. Hallelujah. We worship you, Father, and trust you. We trust your word and the operating of your spirit. Father, you're interested in healing more than a physical body. You desire to heal and restore the mind and the soul and the spirit. Come on, there's nothing worth holding on to. There's nothing worth holding on to to separate you from what God would do in your life. I pray the grace of God that enables us to do what we cannot do ourselves. I pray the grace of God be imparted to us this morning to enable us to do what we cannot do ourselves. In the name of Jesus Christ. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Well, it's a beautiful Pentecost Sunday today. And uh, if you're going to celebrate a holiday, this is the one to celebrate. Amen. Of course, Pentecost just means it's just 50 days after Passover. And uh, what a beautiful, what a beautiful day to remember. Amen. When the Lord first poured out his spirit on his people and the church was born and uh, thank God we're part of a living church amen praise God so I don't forget um, junior camp is swiftly approaching for those of you that have junior camp age related kids um, I believe that's 7 to 12 7 to 12. If you have junior camp related, age related kids, that's August the 21st through the 25th. 
and uh, registration has to be done by July the 21st, so that's 60 days from today, tomorrow. It's about 60 days, so it's about 60 days out, and uh, registration is 225 per person, 225 per person. As long as you register by the 21st, that's the price. After that, it goes up. So uh, July 21st is the deadline, and uh, we'll get some information posted on that. If you have questions, see my wife, because I'll forget after now. Amen. Praise God. Um, also, um, July the 19th and 20th is, I guess we call it family camp now. We call it summer conference. Summer conference is July the 19th and 20th, um, and there is no senior youth camp this year, but they're putting a focus on Thursday night, Friday, and Friday night at summer conference on youth. It's not just for youth, uh, but they're going to have some events geared toward youth as well after the services each night, um, much of the day sessions on Friday um, are have a focus on youth, um, but will be, I believe, uh, powerful and impactful for everybody that wants to be a part. And I think there's some details on that on the bulletin board out there. So look at the bulletin board. Amen. And uh, there's something else I'm supposed to tell you. Oh, POS is coming up. Amen. That is June the 13th. That's a Wednesday night. We will not... Uh, we will not have service here that Wednesday night, all right? Um, we will not have service here that Wednesday night. Uh, that's June the 13th, all day the 14th, the evening of the 14th, all day the 15th, and the evening of the 15th. Um, during those three nights and two full days, um, slight change you probably heard this already but just to make sure we will be fasting during the meeting and uh, we'll break the fast together sometime Friday afternoon I'm told and apparently they will be inviting everybody that would like to to go to a buffet <laughs> following that fast so God be with us amen um, but uh, plan on that if you're if you're planning to go to that event just a reminder, um, that is not an event um, that works well just plugging in a night or two. And so, therefore, we are asking that if you're participating in the POS event, you're participating from beginning to ending. So you would start Wednesday night. You would be there Wednesday night all day, Thursday, Thursday night, Friday, and Friday evening. Um, just because those sessions flow from one to the other to the other to the other. And um, it can be quite... Um, sort of out of sorts if you try to plug in in the middle. So, again, that's the 13th, 14th, 15th. That's in Puyallup. Um, if you're planning to go, uh, you'll be blessed. Uh, if you're planning to go and you haven't already, you should probably be looking at hotels quickly. Um, it's the summer season, and so just know that. Uh, so it would be good to make those plans sooner rather than later. Praise God. Praise God. 
Why don't you go with me to the book of John? I think is where I want to start. John chapter number six. Praise God. It's good to be in the house of the Lord today. It's good to be home on a weekend. Praise God. Amen. I've really been around. I've just been gone on the weekends. And so, thank God it's good to be back home. Continue to remember the John's family in prayers and communication with him last night. He said he's getting better. But uh, continue to uphold that family in prayer there in Twin Falls and the church there. And then know that um, the John's family, them and their three daughters, will be with us at PAS in June. So I'm excited about that. Also keep praying for Brother Jester. He's in communication with them this morning. And uh, he's getting better, but still very weak. Just still very weak, which is to be expected if they go in and replace valves in your heart, I guess. I don't imagine you just jump up and run a marathon after that. And, but uh, he, he's doing well, but he's just still very weak. And uh, they are so expressed. They are so appreciative of the prayers. They said to tell everybody they love you all. And uh, so just keep holding them up in prayer and uh, lifting them up. Amen. Praise God. The book of John, chapter number six. And uh, we're going to read just a little bit here. So bear with me and open your spirit and let's hear what the word of the Lord says. John chapter 6 verse 22. The day following when the people which stood on the other side of the sea saw that there was none other boat there save that one whereinto his disciples were entered and that Jesus went not with his disciples into the boat but that his disciples were gone away alone. Howbeit there came other boats from Tiberias nigh unto the place where they did eat bread, after that the Lord had given thanks. Now hold your hand right there, just so you understand the setting of where we're reading in Scripture. It said, near Tiberias where they ate bread and the Lord had given thanks. What it's referencing and where we start in verse 22, the day following... This is the day following where they had ate bread and the Lord had given thanks. And the day before was when the Lord took the loaves and the fishes, broke the bread, blessed it, and fed thousands. This is the day following. So they've come and they're seeing there's no boats there except the ones the disciples went in. But they know Jesus isn't in the boat with the disciples. And so, verse 24... When the people therefore saw that Jesus was not there, neither his disciples, they also took shipping. That means they got in their ships and headed out. And they came to Capernaum seeking for Jesus. And when they had found him on the other side of the sea... You know, it's a good thing if you go looking for Jesus and you find him. It's a good thing. They found him. 
And when they had found him on the other side of the sea, they said unto him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Because they didn't see him get in a boat. When did you come here? I want you to watch his response. He answered them and said, Truly, truly, I say unto you, you seek me. Not because you saw the miracles, but because you ate of the loaves and you were filled. Notice they ask him, when did you come here? He didn't even take time to respond to that question. He went straight to the motive of their seeking him. It's a good thing to seek him and find him. But sometimes when we seek him and find him, he may not say what we want to hear. And so he went straight to their motive. He said, you're seeking me, but not because of the miracles, not because of the manifestation of my power. You're seeking me because you ate of the bread and you were filled. You're seeking me because I did something that benefited you in your natural life. You sought me for how I could personally benefit your life in the natural. That's why you're looking for me. But he didn't stop there. Verse 27. He said, labor not for the meat which perisheth, but for that meat which endureth unto everlasting life, which the Son of Man shall give unto you, for him hath God the Father sealed. See, he's trying to move them from pursuing him for the natural to pursuing him for the spiritual. He's trying to bring a correction to their motive in their pursuit of him. Then said they unto him, what shall we do that we might work the works of God? So it seems like maybe they've shifted. Now they're interested in doing the works of God. Jesus answered and said, this is the work of God, that you believe on him whom he hath sent. They said therefore unto him, what sign do you show then that we may see and believe you? What dost thou work? Our fathers did eat manna in the desert, it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Then Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, or truly, truly, I say unto you, Moses gave you not that bread from heaven, but my Father giveth you the true bread from heaven. See, they were still pointing back to a supernatural event, but they were still referencing a natural result. The manna was something that fed them every day in the natural. It was supernatural that caused it, just like the breaking of the bread and loaves was supernatural, but they were focused on the natural reception. Does that make sense? Jesus said, verse 33, For the bread of God is he which cometh down from heaven and giveth life Unto the world. Then said they unto him, Lord, evermore give us this bread. 
And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger. And he that believeth on me shall never thirst. Now, I'd like to read all the way through verse number 69. We're not going to do that. You can read that later. But he begins to talk to them about him being the bread. And his flesh being the bread. And he repeats. And the Jews are even murmuring because he said, I am the bread of life. Because he said it came down. He came down from heaven. He repeats again in verse 48. I am that bread of life. And then watch. Let's pick up in verse 51. Or 50. He said, this is the bread which cometh down from heaven. That a man that may eat thereof and not die. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever. Now you would think that would be appealing to people. And the bread that I will give is my flesh. Which I will give for the life of the world. The Jews, therefore, strove amongst themselves. In other words, they got together and sort of argued about it. They were having trouble with what he was saying. They strove amongst themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Jesus said to them, Verily, verily, or truly, truly, I say unto you, Except you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. I'm going to read that again. Jesus said, Truly, Truly, I say unto you, except you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Those are strong words. Whoso eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood hath eternal life. And I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is meat indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He that eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood dwelleth in me, and I in him. As the living Father hath sent me, and I live by the Father, so he that eateth me, even he shall live by me. This is that bread which came down from heaven, not as your fathers did eat manna and are dead, he that eats of this bread shall live forever. These things said he in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. Many therefore, watch this, verse 60. Many therefore of his disciples. Many of his disciples. When they had heard this, they said, This is a hard saying. Who can hear it? Verse 61, and when Jesus knew in himself that his disciples murmured in it, he said unto them, does this offend you? 
Makes me think of another passage of Scripture. You can just hold right there. We'll come back to John in a second. You can read in Matthew 11. We won't go there. But you can make a note if you make notes and go read it later. We read in Matthew 11 about John the Baptist being in prison. I think it's Matthew 11. And he's in prison and some of his disciples, John the Baptist's disciples, come to him in prison. And John says to them, go ask him if he's the one, speaking of Jesus Christ, or do we look for another? Now this is John who had baptized him in the Jordan and saw the Spirit descending like a dove and said, Behold the Lamb of God. But he's now in a different place in life and so he's questioning whether or not he missed it and how it all worked out and what took place. And so he says to these two disciples of his that came and visited him in prison, he said, Go ask him, is he the one or do we look for another? And so they came to Jesus and Jesus said to them, Go back and tell John that the blind see and the lame walk and the dead are raised to life. And the poor have the gospel preached unto them. As they turned and went, and he said, And tell John, Blessed is he, whosoever it be, that is not offended in me. Jesus was addressing the opportunity for an offense in John. And he's addressing the opportunity for an offense here. But not the type of offense that you and I, you know, usually we think of offense like I'm upset at somebody because they did something to me and those are wrong too. You better deal with that or you'll go to hell. And so, sorry, I know that was strong. That's just the way it came out. But you better deal with it or else. It, it's, it's in the Word. And so, but that's not the offense that Jesus is dealing with here. He's dealing with those that are offended towards him. He told him, tell John, blessed is he that is not offended in me. And here he shared some things that are hard, hard sayings, the scripture says. And then he asked them, does this offend you, this hard saying, this thing I'm telling you that I'm requiring of you? Verse 62. What, and if you shall see the Son of Man ascend up where he was before? It is the Spirit that quickeneth. The flesh profiteth nothing. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. But there are some of you that believe not. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were that believed not and who should betray him. And he said, therefore said I unto you that no man can come unto me except it were given unto him of my father. Watch verse 66. From that time, many of his disciples went back and they walked no more with him. Can you believe that? And then Jesus said to the twelve, Will you go away also, or will you also go away? Then Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. And we believe and we are sure that thou art that Christ, 
the son of the living God. Acts chapter 1. I know we're doing a little bit of reading. I'm doing all I can do to contain myself right now and read until I... There's so much turning in my spirit this morning. I just got to read for a minute. Acts chapter 1. We'll just start with verse number 4. Acts 1 and 4. And being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which saith he, Ye have heard of me. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. When they therefore were come together, they asked of him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? And he said unto them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father hath put in his own power. Verse 8. I know you can quote this verse, but I want you to hear it again. You shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost is come upon you. And you shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. Just leave that verse sitting up there today, Brother Gabriel, if you would. And could we pray together one more time and ask the Lord, Quicken his word into our heart. His will and work would be done here. In the name of Jesus. Father we thank you today for the richness of your spirit. In ministry and operation. That is already evident here this morning. We thank you Lord for your word that cannot fail. We open our heart, our mind, our soul and our spirit. Fully and completely today to what you will do, what you will say, and how you'll do it, and how you'll say it. I pray the utterance of your spirit, Father, without the tainting of my humanity. That you would speak into our lives these things that you desire to say. To equip us, O Lord, and to send us the way you want to do in this hour. In the name of Jesus Christ, your will here among us for your glory. For your glory, in Jesus' name I pray. Amen, amen, amen. I know we read quite a bit of scripture there. And there where we started in John chapter 6, it can almost seem like that the ending of the chapter is a separate thought from the beginning. But where they started is why they ended up where they did. They started in the natural, but the Lord was trying to move them to the spiritual and they started pursuing him, as we read, because of a miracle he had done. The breaking of bread that fed thousands from just a few loaves. And so that appealed to mankind. And that's very common in mankind. It's common in you and I that way. That most of us come to God because of what he'll do for us. 
doesn't make us feel good when we just admit it that openly. But the reality is, many of us, most of us, dare I say, maybe even all of us, somewhere on the journey in our life, we approach unto God or seek after God simply for what He'll do for us. Some benefit we'll receive some gain that will come our way that we can call the blessings of God. And it may very well be the blessings of God. And so our, our pursuit of Him is not really dramatically different than those that we read about in the Scripture. They came looking for Him, and when He wasn't there, they got in a ship and went somewhere else to find Him to get their need met. They were hungry again, and... They had seen a miracle take place, but when they found Jesus and approached Him and asked Him the question about how did you get here, He dealt with the motive of their heart because He was reaching for more than satisfying a natural need. We do a disservice to God when we put Him in a place that simply looks to Him to satisfy our natural need. That's what they did. That was their motive. They weren't interested in what he had really come for. To seek and to save that which was lost. They were interested in more bread. That's really cool what he did. That's really neat. Look, our whole family ate. We didn't have to do any work. We just showed up. And he did a miracle and our stomachs were filled. That's amazing. Man, I want to serve a God like that. Sounds a little rough that way, doesn't it? But their pursuit of him was for what he could do for them. Not for him. So he began dealing with that. He began talking to them about something beyond the natural life. He began to appeal for them to everlasting life. He said, the bread that your fathers ate in the wilderness, they ate and they died. They're dead. It was natural. It didn't cause them to live forever. It met their need in the natural for a season. And I'll do that. But I'm offering something that's greater than temporary fulfillment in your natural life. I'm offering everlasting life. I gave you something that was a natural example hoping it would cause you to come to me and desire me in the spiritual, but you're still pursuing after me for what it does and benefits you. I want to give you the bread of life. I want to give you myself. And So he began to talk about giving himself and eating of his flesh and drinking of his blood. We know he wasn't talking about naturally taking the flesh of the man Christ Jesus and the blood of the man Christ Jesus and eating it and drinking it, that's an abomination we know. If he was speaking of eating natural flesh and drinking natural blood. That's why we know that some religions that teach that the, the bread and the wine are still his body and his blood by some amazing miracle, and they're partaking of his flesh and blood in reality. It's not what he was talking about. You do that in remembrance, the scripture says of him. 
But he said he's the bread of life and he begins to share this idea of taking. We understand that what he's, what he's expressing there and inviting us to is he was going to a cross to die. He was laying down his life to make a way for you and I and he was inviting us to partake of his dying and his suffering so that we could have eternal life. So that you and I could enter into what he was making a way for. Not in the natural, but in the spiritual. But what happens with you and I, if I'm not careful. And, and it happens to you and I. Is my pursuit of him and my relationship with God. It becomes to be one of simply seeking after him day in and day out. For how he can benefit my life. What can the Lord do for me? Can he help me with my job? Can he help me with my finances? Can he help me with my health? Can he help me with this? Can he do that for me? Will he make this better? Will he make that better? Will he fix this? Will he take care of that? And he can do all of those things. But that's not why we need to pursue him. I have a question for you. If he doesn't do any of that, are you still interested in pursuing him? If he doesn't change the family situation because he knows it's the only thing that keeps you coming to him, you still going to pursue him? This is what he was dealing with when he was speaking to them in there in the book of Matt, John, where we read. He was saying, you just want the bread. You just want what I can give you. You want the benefit. You're not interested in the depth of relationship that I'm calling you to. I'm having to reckon with this in my own spirit in some areas in my life. I want to pursue him for him, not for what he can do for me. You understand, I pursue him because of what he's already done for me. You understand, Calvary is why. You say, well, what has he done for me? He hasn't fixed my finances yet. No, that's not what I'm talking about that he's done for me. What he's done for you and I, he's already went to a cross. He's already laid down his life. He's already shed his blood. He's already rose again that you and I could walk in newness of life. And so my pursuit of him is out of desire for relationship with the one who gave his life for me. The words keep turning in my head. He has redeemed me unto himself. He has redeemed me unto himself. You know what that means? He purchased me unto himself. He didn't just purchase me with all the gold and silver that's his. No, he purchased me with his own blood. He purchased you with his own blood. For his life, he laid it down to purchase you and I. 
And so the day that I made the decision and the day that you made the decision to go down in a watery grave in the name of Jesus Christ and have the blood of Jesus applied to your life and allow him to take all of your sin away, you were saying, I accept the redeeming blood of the Lamb upon my life. I accept the offering that you paid so that I could be free from the wages of sin that are death. And I'm no longer my own. I belong to you. You have purchased me. I am one of yours now. I no longer belong to myself. I belong to you. And so I no longer choose for my life. You do. See, if this place in my motive doesn't change, ultimately what will happen is exactly what happened to all the disciples in John 6. We'll go away also. If my motive of pursuing him is only for what I can gain and benefit in the natural. And when it comes to these hard sayings, they call them hard, not as harsh. That's not the word hard there, harsh. Hard as in difficult to reason out. The reason it's difficult to reason out is because it speaks to a dying out to myself in order to pursue him. And what happened to those disciples that had followed him all the way till this point, when it got to the point where it was no longer about how it could benefit them, but what he was truly calling them to, they went away. And then he asked a challenging question to the twelve. Will you go away also? Now the Lord is patient, kind, gentle, long-suffering. And so he brings us on this journey. He's patient with you and I. Aren't you thankful for that today? Amen. He's patient with us. And so he brings us, but, but he never misleads us. He doesn't say, well, I'll see if I can lure them in and I'll deceive them with a little bit of bread and I'll trick them into trying to pursue that. Then I'll drop the hammer about what it takes to... Re-. No, he doesn't do that. He was very clear from the beginning. He said, except you deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me, you cannot be my disciple. There was no wiggle room there. There still is no wiggle room there. It's clear and it's certain. Except I take up the cross, deny myself, and follow him. I cannot be his disciple. There's no other way. I can't take up my cross, follow him, and do my own thing. I take up my cross, I follow him. I deny myself. I'm afraid too much of my life. I've lived for God for what he'd do for me. I'm not trying to be patriotic today. But the, uh, the words of, I think it was John Kennedy. It was before my time, but I've heard it before. I think it was John Kennedy that made this statement, the famous statement. 
Ask not what your country can do for you, but what you can do for your country. Is that the right person? Is that how he said it? Is that how it went? It's been turning in my head in prayer this morning in relationship to God. Stop asking what God can do for you. And begin asking what you can do for God. You understand that's what he's drawing disciples to him for. It's the reason he told his disciples, I know what you have need of before you even ask. Don't even take thought for tomorrow. Don't worry about what you're going to eat. Don't worry about the clothes you're going to wear. Don't even take any thought for that. He said, I know what you have need of before you even ask. Just seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all those other things will be added unto you. What is he doing? He's appealing to us to be a disciple that follows him, denies ourselves, and identifies with the fact he has purchased me with his own blood. He has bought me. I don't belong to myself. I belong to him. And therefore, he dictates for my life, not me. We don't talk about that very much when we read Acts 1 and 8. But let's look at Acts 1 and 8 that's still up there. Because we like this verse. I like this verse. Don't you like this verse? You shall receive power. After, and that word power there, I think most of us know this, it's the Greek word dunamis, which is specifically miraculous power. You shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. Notice after the word you, upon you, see there's a colon right there. See that? That's telling you that all the stuff afterwards is why there's power coming on you. that make sense? And notice, it doesn't say you shall receive power if the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And therefore, you shall receive multiple natural benefits in your life as a result of this great power. And you shall use it to bring blessing upon your home and your family and your job and your finances. And you'll never have problems and pain because of this power. Oh no, that's not even mentioned. You shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And this is why. You shall be witnesses unto me. Witnesses unto who? Unto him. Our life will become a living testimony of Christ, of his. In other words, when I receive this Holy Ghost power in my life, when you and I are baptized with the power of the Holy Ghost, it's not to benefit me. I didn't say it wouldn't benefit you. But that's not its purpose. I mean, it'll benefit you. Trust me. When that trumpet sounds, you better hope you're filled with the Holy Ghost. Because it's that spirit that dwells in us that will quicken us and will lift us out of here when that trumpet sounds. But that's not even why you receive it. See, that's to benefit me. And that's why many people want to be baptized and filled with the Holy Ghost. Because they've heard the scripture, which is true. That if I'm not baptized in Jesus' name and filled with the Holy Ghost, then my sins aren't washed away. And when the trumpet sounds, I won't be lifted out of here. But see how subtle that is? Lord Jesus, fill me with the Holy Ghost so that when the trumpet sounds, I'll go to heaven. Who's that about? Is that about me or is that about him? 
I'm, I'm guilty of pursuing him for how it benefits me. But you understand, he didn't purchase me for my benefit. He purchased me for his benefit. Now, there's no doubt about it. When he purchased us, it benefited us. Amen. He brought us out of darkness into his marvelous light. He took our sins and gave us his righteousness. There's no doubt that benefited me. But he did it because he wanted to benefit himself. He wanted to use us. He purchased us to use us for his glory and for his purpose. To manifest his power in us and through us to a world that he could say, I want to bring you unto myself for the very same purpose to manifest my glory through. And so when we receive the Holy Ghost, it's to be witnesses unto him. That word witnesses there is a Greek word. You probably know this too. It's the Greek word martrus. It's where we get the word martyr from. A martyr is someone who dies for a cause. That scripture could literally say, you shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And this is the reason why you receive the power. So that you could be a martyr, someone that would die for the cause unto me. Now that doesn't sound like that benefits me, dying for a cause. That benefits the cause. Exactly. Exactly. Am I telling you the Lord Jesus doesn't want to bless your life? In this life? No, I'm not telling you that at all. But that can't be my motive in pursuit and relationship with him. That is so shallow. And there's so much depth he's wanting to bring in our relationship. And so much he's wanting to do in and through our lives with his spirit working and operating through us. And that only begins to truly happen when I die to myself and allow his spirit to work and operate through me for his benefit, for his glory. And so my prayer no longer is one of, God, today, would you please do this for me? Please help me with this. Please fix this. Please change this. Please order this. Please. My prayer becomes, Lord, what is your desire today? How can my life be poured out for you? How do you want to use this lump of clay that I am today? How do you want to flow through this vessel on the job today? When I'm walking to and fro through the grocery store, how do you want to use me? What is it that you're wanting to manifest on my job when I'm doing this or that, Lord, what is it you want to do? Use me. Here I am. You've purchased me. I belong to you. So let my life be a witness unto you everywhere I go. That's what it's for. You say, well, what about me? What about me? It's not about me anymore. I've been bought. You've been bought. Now, if we think in the natural, this sounds, I don't know what it sounds like. It doesn't sound exciting. If it doesn't sound exciting, it's because we're thinking in the natural. Because if you see in John chapter 6 where we read, and I know we read a lot in there, 
But in John chapter 6, verse 63, well, you can look at 53. He said, I, truly, truly, I say unto you, except you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. That sounds pretty depressing. But then verse 63, he said, it is the spirit that quickeneth. The flesh profiteth nothing. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit. And they are life. That's not in the natural. It's in the supernatural. And so what he's inviting us into, when we enter into this exchange, your life for mine, I no longer belong to myself. I belong to you. Use me however you choose. I'm entering into a supernatural work. Where instead of living my life for myself in the natural and trying to make it work and knowing with much, because I've got 47 years of experience that I'm not very good at making it work on my own. But putting my life in His hands and committing it to Him and saying, what do you want to do? How do you want to do it? He has a way of taking my life for His glory and doing something that has great value and it will last far beyond this natural life. And oh, by the way, in exchange, He promises eternal life but you know what the great deception is that comes our way is we focus on the temporal we focus on the current day the day to day this short term vapor of 70 or 80 years we put all of our energy and efforts and time and God forbid even much of our prayer into asking him to bless this life so much more and he's inviting us into it now many of his disciples were offended by this kind of talk and so they went away it's interesting about John the Baptist to me it's interesting to me that the Lord Jesus told John's disciples to go back and tell him, blessed is the man that is not offended in me. Now, when, when they left and went back, then Jesus turned to the crowd that he had been talking to. They didn't hear this part. They didn't get to tell John this part. But he turned to the crowd and he said, what did you go out there to see when he was out there preaching in the desert? He said, did you go to see a reed shaking in the wind? He said, he wasn't that. What did you go out there to see? He began to come at them and, and describe the life of John the Baptist. And then he makes this statement. He said, I say unto you, there was not a greater prophet than that man, John the Baptist, that ever lived. Now his disciples didn't hear that and go back and tell John the Baptist that. See, sometimes Jesus doesn't let us see how much he thinks of how he's working through us because we'll think it's us. But why did he tell John, blessed is the man that isn't offended in me? And what made John such a great prophet that none greater than him had ever lived? I used to think it was because he was the one that introduced the Messiah. I'm not so convinced that's the case anymore. I think the reason he's... Jesus called him the greatest that ever lived is because John fulfilled his purpose 
And even when his life didn't end the way he thought it would, John stayed true to his calling and purpose and sold out to fulfilling the purpose of God and the plan of God so that it was never about his life, but about the way God wanted to use his life for his glory. Would you stand with me this morning? I believe I'm speaking to a room of people that so very many, you have a desire and a heart to have your life poured out and spent for the cause of Christ. I don't think I'm talking to a room full of people that have no interest in, in that. The Lord is beckoning us again to make sure we don't get confused in our motive. Make sure we don't get sidetracked. Look, life is going to have circumstances along the way that oppose where we're going. We can't get distracted by the circumstances of life. We have to remember the priority is He who is leading us and Him being glorified through our life. I no longer live for myself. At least I'm trying not to. I'm not telling you that like I've got it all figured out every single day that I live. There's days where I find, hold on a minute, Joel. You're, who's this for? Is this for you or is this for him? This is a place of great victory. It's a great, a place of great operation of his spirit through your life. Because your prayer life begins to change. Your time spent in prayer is no longer about you and your needs and what you'd like to see him do. Your time spent in prayer is about his kingdom and his glory and what he wants to do and how he wants to do it. And you begin releasing all of those cares of your life. And I release all of those cares of my life unto him. And my focus is him flowing through me the way he wants to. Flowing through you the way he wants to. And him being glorified. And him being exalted. You say, well, what about my bills? I, I, I got those too. You're telling me I'm just supposed to quit my job? I did not say that. Don't walk out of here and say that. You got to be responsible. But don't twist the word of God. Understand. It's what am I putting first? And why am I pursuing a relationship with him? That's really the crux of the matter. Why am I pursuing? You know, there's some. I really was trying to find something different to talk about this morning, but the Holy Ghost just kept me right here all day. We've all probably known those that maybe would show up at church and then not show up and then show up and then not show up and show up and not show up. And, and you knew they were going to show up again when they had a really big need. Or they'd call you for prayer when they had a really big need. And that's good. You should come to church, right? No better place to come. You understand? I'm not saying disappear. God wants to meet our needs. But when my relationship with him is based on him meeting my need and fixing my thing, 
I never really get the fullness of what he intends and desires for my life. Do you want the fullness of what he desires for your life? Do you want to be a vessel in the hands of the master that his spirit flows through and accomplishes great and mighty things in the earth? Do you want to be a vessel that he takes and directs where he will and uses as he will to do what he so that when he's done, he gets all the glory? And whether people remember you and I and our name or not is irrelevant. They simply remember that he has done great things. Someone that he uses to lay hands on the sick and they recover and they don't remember who it was. They just know that God did a great work and he was glorified and they were drawn to him and they therefore give their lives to him and he begins to flow through them as well. And this repeats again and again and it becomes all about him and all about him receiving glory and him receiving honor and we're simply poured out for his purpose. Would you begin to talk to him with me right now? Avail yourself to him. Come on, he's wanting to do this. He's wanting to do this. He's simply affecting our prayer, seeking to affect the way we pray and the way we approach unto him. In the name of Jesus, he knows everything you have need of before you ask. You may have to start with casting that on him. You may have to start with laying that at his feet. Say, Lord, all these things that I've worried about or carried around or wondered about or tried to get you to do something to, I lay those at your feet today. You know the things I need before I even ask. But my heart's cry today is use me for your purpose. Use me for your glory. Use me according to your design and your desire. Take this lump of clay and use it as you've intended. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. Come on, the Holy Ghost in you is to bring power to manifest to a world, Jesus Christ. The Spirit of God in us is to be made manifest to a world. Witnesses unto Him, witnesses unto Him that the works we do, they're not ourselves. it's Him doing the work through us. The words that we speak, it's not us speaking them. It's Him speaking through us. Living, walking, and abiding in this place. Come on, as you're talking to him, you may need to start at a place of repentance. A repentance of living unto myself. Jesus, let your spirit so work. Let your spirit so work through us the way you intend. Shift our perspective to be in alignment with your thoughts. Shift our words to come in alignment with your word, Father. Let your words fill our heart, our mouth, and our minds. God, forgive me where I pursued you for selfish benefit. 
Forgive me where I pursued you for my personal gain. Yes, there's benefit that's come, but God, I want my motive in pursuing you to be pure. I want my motive in pursuing you to be because of what you've already done in purchasing me to be spent for the cause of Christ. More than just a cliche and nice sounding words. But let it be the cry of my heart. Let it be the purpose of my living, oh God. For your glory, for your glory, for your glory, for your glory. Hallelujah. I open this altar to you today, or if you'd like to turn your pew into an altar, can we take time and talk to the Lord? Let Him sort through our spirit with His Word today. When He's wanting to use us, He's wanting to use us, but He's got to get us in a place where when He does, we never take the credit or the glory. We don't make it about ourselves, that it's all about Him. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. In the name of
bless you today. Why don't we stand together? Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. The beauty of a life lived like that for him is he meets all of our needs. He meets them all. He does. He meets. Because as our life starts being lived that way, what we think we need changes because the more in tune we become with Him, we become more and more in tune with Him, and we are no longer living for ourselves. And so the things we realize, man, what I thought I needed, I don't need anymore. And what I really need is Him. And so I just pursue Him. And He supplies all of my need according to His riches in glory. Praise God. Praise. I have great faith for him manifesting himself through me. Praise God. God bless you. Thank you for being in the house of the Lord today. Greet somebody. You're dismissed in Jesus.